Cherokees, Grand Cherokees. Hi, I'm Jerry Simmons of Simmons 4 Before Automotive Service Center. If you're a Jeep owner, we speak your language. We've been maintaining Jeeps since 1974. Broken drive shafts, death wobbles, transfer cases, four-wheel drives that don't work proper. Been there, done that, and got the T-shirt. Before you head out to the desert again, let the Jeep pros at Simmons 4 Before Automotive Service Center check it out. 884-0217. We've been jeeping it since 1974. Simmons 4 Before Automotive Service Center has been serving Tucson and Southern Arizona since 1974. We service and repair Dad's 4 Before, including light diesels, Mom's Cadillac, and Junior's Hot Rod. We believe in evidence-based diagnostics. Find it, then fix it. Today's vehicles are primarily controlled by onboard computers. They control everything from ride quality to engine and transmission performance. What they don't control is proper maintenance. That's up to you. Call us at Simmons 884-0217 or visit our website at Simmons autorepair.com. The views and opinions on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of ESPN Tucson 1490 and 104.9 FM or the Arizona Lotus Corporation. Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. All right, welcome back to the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host, along with me, my co-host, Jim Mooney from Frontier Towing for all of your towing needs. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Jerry. Welcome back to Hour 2. Remember, I'm on the radio, so it's a super safe Saturday. Always it's a super safe Saturday. That means slow down, move over, don't drink and drive, don't text and drive, pay attention to the road when you're working on your car. Use your jack stands. Use your safety glasses, disconnect your batteries, and that infernal hood prop that you seem to think that you can get stuck under the hood, but for some reason you just can't find the right place, and it's always in the way. That would be the reason why <laughs> you get good gas shocks or something to hold the hood up. I always like it because I try and put the hood prop up, and then I, it's always where I want to be, and I have to move it like 17 times. So maybe I'm the only guy that has that issue. I don't know. Well... Just don't kick it out of the way while you don't bump it while you got your head under there. When you put those hood props under there, make sure you got them secure. Put, put them, there's all sorts of little holes and stuff you can put them in. But, um, yeah, <laughs> either that or you better have the reflex of a snake in order to get out of there because they do hurt. Yeah, right. I've I, I, had it fall on my head. Oh, yeah. Well, anybody that's worked under a hood for a period of time knows exactly what you're talking about. This portion of the show, show is brought to you by MerrillsAuto.com. Merrill's Auto is more than just good counter people. They have all sorts of equipment. They have specialty tools. They have the additives that we're talking about uh, that we've talked about on the show. And they also have a machine shop service over on West Ajo, and that number is 520-807-4010. And they're open on Saturdays from 8 to 5, and they'll do rotors and drums and flywheels, and if they do it yourselfers. Uh, I would call down, because I'm one of those guys that like to call down and see how busy they are, because uh, they're open on Saturday morning, and Saturday is the day that we normally get the rotors pulled off and the flywheels and the drums and get everything and go down and get it done. So the earlier we get there, the faster we can get it done. But you need to call and make sure they can get to it and they're not buried. 
or don't pull the doggone thing apart if you think you can skate for one more day or so. But um, uh, Merrill's Auto, and then they have a, a load of shops around town and scattered out around the state. Uh, they've got them in Sierra Vista. They've got them in uh, Marinci, Globe, Casa Grande, Green Valley. And they also have 10 locations in Tucson. Go to MerrillsAuto.com, and that will give you the Merrill store the closest to you, and then you can go in and visit them. Their weekly hours are 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., so they're open long enough Monday through Friday, 7 to 6 to pretty much get everything and gives you a chance to where if you're working, you get off at 5 o'clock, you can go by Merle's and get your parts you need to finish your up your job that you couldn't get done on Saturday. But just a, a they quality parts, machines, they, they have machines and equipment and stuff that you can buy. They'll help you get it. They even got financing set up and available. Uh, you got tools. And they've got all the additives. So visit a Merle's if you're looking for something on a Saturday morning. Cuts down the running to three or four other places I know of. All right. And off we go. We talked about driving, what we've seen on my little trip to Phoenix, uh, talking about passing. You know, the left lane is for passing, the right lane is for driving. Uh, we talk about driving in the wind. Don't, don't underestimate that. Mother Nature is quite a lady. I mean, I remember she just took out a couple of countries with, uh, back to back 7.8 earthquakes. And I feel so sorry for those people. That number is unimaginable now. I think they've got up around 20,000 deaths. And, but they had two back to back. 7.8. I thought they only had one. They had two, and they were within about an hour apart or something like that. But And then all the tremors that go with it, that is the most pitiful thing I've heard in I don't know how many years. So anyway, uh, you know, we're, we're very fortunate here. The ones of us that don't have to live through that mess. So, oh, her hearts and prayers go out to these people. All right, let's go. Let, let, let's do a little – oh, I, I, speaking of auto repair and problems, 6.7 Ford diesel, 2021. Due to a design flaw, there's a problem in the oil pan. In the oil pan. They have to pull the oil pan off of this truck, and everybody's screaming about it. Because it one has a couple of oil pans under there. It's got a main reservoir and a backup or uh, the one above it. And in order to pull that, you have to pull the cab off of the truck. And for the ones in the auto repair industry, it's used to Ford trucks for quite a few years. That is the simple way to get to the motors on these diesels. You pull the cab up off of the chassis, and then you've got access. And I guess that's becoming a, a thorn in somebody's rear end because it actually made the uh, uh, motor magazine about problems that they're having repairing vehicles and the length of time it takes to repair them. 
Um, now, the last hour we covered the lights on your car. Lights on the automobile are a safety item. One, if you don't turn them on at night, you can't see. And last night, I was coming through an intersection and like to collect it another one. It was a gray, paint-faded, blistered-up little car with no lights. He wasn't coming through with any lights on. The guy behind him had lights, which that's what your eyes adjust to, the lights. If you drive without your lights and somebody behind you are driving with the lights, it impairs my vision to see you. So turn your lights on. Brake lights, we discussed the last hour, super critical. Turn signals, super critical. So please inspect your lights. You know, if you don't do anything else today, you don't learn anything else, go out and inspect your lights. It'll give you something to do. Clean your windshield so it'll keep down them so you can see what you're supposed to see. If your windshield has little sparkles in it, which looks like it's, well, you know, normally about 20-year-old car will have sparkles in it in the state of Arizona because of the sandstorms and the high winds that we have and little particles of dirt flying through, blowing around. Uh, most of the people on insurance policies have glass coverage. You go in, you have your glass coverage, it's no deductible, no nothing. Have your windshield replaced. That is a safety item. That is not as good as your lights. You're driving in heavy traffic, like we have the uh, gym show in Tucson, you're driving in heavy traffic, turn your lights on. Turn everything on, you know, except the emergency blinkers, only if you need those, but... Turn your lights on and make that car as visible as you possibly can while you're driving around Tucson. But you got to make sure they work in order to turn them all on. So do that. Do that thing for the day because people ignore their vehicle. There's where the problem lies. You got anything you want to add to that one, Jim? Uh, you know, you were talking about the windshield. You know, <laughs> we look through it every day. Every day you get in the car, you look through your windshield. And um, so cleaning is really, really important. And we should make it make sure it's clean. But you know, you brought up a really good point about the the speckles in the in the windshield. Um, if if your windshield gets, it may not have a crack or a, or a rock chip in it, but it may just be an older windshield that has a lot of wind damage just from the like because we live in a dirty we live in the desert. There's a lot of sand and dust around there. It, you would be amazed how much visibility is reduced by abrasiveness that's have contacted your windshield. It just it the light reacts differently. Your vision it's like looking through a fog, looking through you know a glass that's been frosted. It it there's a significant amount of uh, vision reduction. And if you think it's bad, take it to take it to somebody like a body shop, take it to Iron Road, or take it to somebody that that knows about glass. Take it to a glass guy. And they can they can inspect your windshield to make sure that you're getting okay. make sure you get the right right visibility out of it because if you can't if you're if you can't see out your windshield well then you have a bad you're gonna have a really bad day so we'll jump yes, on to Mary. Yes, you will. All right, let's go talk to Mary. Mary, good morning. Welcome to the Simmons Car Care Show. Right, thank you. Would you go over again? On the cold mornings, what would be a good time frame to let the car warm up? And is it true for an older vehicle the same time frame as for a newer vehicle? Uh, one, 
the old vehicles that are still not computer controlled at the fuel delivery system, you need to let them warm up about three minutes, uh, mainly because they don't, they don't have fuel control. And the fuel control, when you fire the old vehicles up, you have a real high flow of fuel going in them. So it needs to go into closed loop. It needs to get up where the choke comes off, and so about three minutes on that. And if you're trying just to defrost your windshield or something like that, uh, you can let the uh, late model cars warm up too if you're trying to get the ice and stuff off your windshield like we've had last week or week before last. But the warm-up on them, uh, when you uh, warm them up, it gives a transmission fluid on the older cars. It'll give the transmission fluid time to warm up. It'll give the engine oil time to warm up. The circulation is better. The oil gets thinner, and it protects your engine better. So that's one of the main reasons that they allow uh, the older vehicles to want, you need to let them warm up a little bit. The new vehicles, they've got fuel control, they've got computers, they only put in the amount of fuel that's necessary to get the vehicle to warm up. Uh, I, I really am not that concerned about my vehicles as far as uh, the fuel. I'm more concerned about it. Is it going to be comfortable enough when I get in it to drive it? And I also know that if you fire up an older vehicle, the most fuel you're going to be burning in that vehicle is the startup. And it sets there, it's got a, it's got an idle at a high idle. It's, that causes more fuel to be going through the engine. And that until it warms up, the choke don't want to come off. And it, it, it's just, it's just blowing fuel. I mean, it is blowing. You're, you're down to around three, four mile per gallon. That's how much extra fuel is putting it in it to warm that vehicle up. Newer vehicles a, have fuel control. Go ahead. And is a like an eighty, like a ninety-four? Is that considered an older vehicle, or is that not? Well, ninety-four what? Ninety-four Chevy truck. Chevy truck. Yeah, that would be an older. Uh, they have a ninety-four has um, throttle body on top of it. Yeah, that that's still. I would let that warm up about three minutes. Uh, if okay. you let it idle, if you let it idle because it's really cold outside and you want to defrost the windows, you can let it idle. All you're going to do is you're going to burn a massive amount of fuel, and then you'll take it out and then you'll run it through, and then the EGR and the catalytic converter and all of that stuff come into play. And But I would let it warm up because it's better to let the older vehicle warm up because they don't have the, the viscosity on the oil. It's not like a zero twenty weight. It's more like a 10, 10 30 or uh, 10 40, depending on what the manufacturer put in it in 1994. So I would give it a chance for that to warm up a little bit, and that would give you better, uh, more oil flow through the engine. And it'll give the engine a chance to get the oil up to it before you actually pull it out of the garage or take off with it. It gives the oil flow better. So. And in the temperature uh, range that you would make the recommendation, is it in the 40s or is it still, or should it be down in the 30s? Is that Would that be more logical? Uh, I would let it warm up. I would do either or. Is it 30 or 40 degrees? You know, 30 degrees, okay. of course, going to – the faster the heater comes on on the inside, the more comfortable you're going to be when you get in it drive it. 
Okay. Okay. I don't mean let it get up to 80 degrees inside. Just something that you can tolerate when you get in. Okay. Thanks a lot. And if you can, on some of the older vehicles, you can uh, change your oil viscosity on them depending on how many miles you got on it. Maybe you want to step it up like from a 30 to a 40 or something like that. You can do that on your older vehicles. Because the clearances are different. They didn't change to tighter tolerances until uh, 1996 is when they started cutting the tolerances down. So I would let the, I'd warm it up. You know, if you've had that truck for a long period of time, uh, you're probably doing it right the way you're doing it. So, you know, don't, don't try to reinvent the wheel. But, yes, I would let my older trucks warm up because I like the transmission fluid to be able to move. And I want okay. the oil to Thank be you able very to much. move. Okay? Thanks. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Mary. Uh, phone number 520-719-1490. It's Jim's fault we didn't tell him what the phone number was the first hour. Um. <laughs> I apologize. I, you're right, Jerry. I should have told you that. I apologize for that. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Five two zero seven one nine fourteen ninety. We'll take any questions you have out there, especially on any anything has a maintenance, anything that you may or or think you may be able to do. Um, you know, we those things. I can probably keep you out of trouble. I can't tell you that we're going to fix that thing over the phone because I don't have the vehicle. But I've been around a long time in the automotive industry. And I'll be happy to share some of the little stuff that will keep you out of trouble. I don't want to get you in trouble. I want to keep you out of trouble. You know, I I tried working on my own uh, computer one time. Uh, I had to unplug it. And (laughs) But when I went in, the guy told me, he said, Jerry, don't quit your day job. So if you've got something, and now everybody's specializing in something. If you need something fixed, I mean, uh, how many of you still do your own plumbing? How many of you still do your own TV repair? How many still, I mean, other than unplug it and plug it in, that's about all you can do. Um, so when you when you tackle a car, there are a few things you need to know before you tackle a car. One is that super stuff that Jim puts out on safety items while working on a car. That is the utmost critical of working on your own vehicle, whether you're in a shop or whether you're doing it at your house. If you don't have the stands and you're working under that car, go down to Merle's and get you a set of stands. Put it up. Do you have a jack that you can get it up far enough to get the stands under? Oh, no, I didn't think of that. Well, get a jack. Put it up. Set the stands under the car. Take it up. Just get it off the ground. Get it off the concrete or whatever. And once it's setting on the stands, when you first set the stands, shake it to see if you can push it off. If you can't shake the car and push it off the stands, you're pretty solid, okay? Don't go in there half-cocked and say, oh, well, you know, this will work. I'm just using a stand in case it falls. Good. Set the stands with a weight on it because if the car moves and you've just got the stand setting about two inches under the framing, when it hits, is a jack stand going to be in? Is it going to be in a proper lock position? Is it going to be have a good base on it so it doesn't rock sideways and drop that car right on top of you? 
Don't play games. You know, it's bad enough when you're under there working on it and you've got it sitting on the stand and you start to move and you hit your head on the darn muffler. That hurts. Or the catalytic converter. They're no longer little teeny weeny headaches. They become big headaches. Ask the guy's been working on a classic car all their life. They rebuild those things and see what kind of go into one of their places and see how they've got it suspended. See how, what safety precautions they use. I'm telling you. They've got it down to a science, like most of your good garages. Don't play around with these things. All right. Uh, let's, let's go buy a car. Let's go buy a car. Let's buy a brand-new car. Here's a list of the five major car-buying mistakes, and this we're going to be able to eat up an hour on. We're going to eat up an hour on I thought you were going to take huh? me to the dealership and buy me a new. I thought you were going to take me to the dealership and buy me a new car. I was all excited, no. Jerry. I'm oh. not the government. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> Automotive specialist, <laughs> Mr. Tesfrey. Yes, we mentioned him. What? I was going to say, if you can't go buy the, since Jerry won't take me to buy a new car, I'll go look at a used car over at Lens. Because he's got some decent ones that I could afford. I couldn't afford a new one to save my life. But, uh, at least at Lens, I can find oh, a used car. <laughs> hey, there's there's a good that, that's a a good theory, and the used cars are not that uh, that cheap anymore. Oh, that I want to cover this before I get into anything else. Used vehicles in a crash. You take a used vehicle. They normally uh, the insurance would give you. Uh, the book value on them, okay, on a used vehicle. Try to replace that vehicle for that amount of money. You, you're at about 50% of replacing that vehicle with today's cost. So when you're out and you think I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to, I only paid, you know, $3,000 for this car. I can go buy another $3,000. You better think again because the thing that you're going to be doing buying for three thousand dollars probably cost you five thousand to put it on on a road reliable vehicle. That's how you really have to pay attention on a used vehicle. All right. Now, let's go buy a new one. <laughs> and no, I'm not buying you a new car, Jim. Uh, oh, and especially not one of those big trucks. Shopping for a car before. You find a loan. Can you get it financed? What are you going to have to pay in interest rates? Do your homework. Find out, pre-qualify for a car, and find out how much you can actually spend on a car. Buying a car, number two, buying a car on the first visit. Research. Research your price. Research the trading value, the one that you've got. Get an estimate on it. They can give you a, a basic. They can give you a ballpark estimate on the phone, on your vehicle if you want to do that. Now a lot of people think that well, you know, I don't want to waste a guy's time. Or you get a guilt complex about calling, and they they're sitting there talking to you about their greatest car on the planet, and you're thinking, wow, this sounds really good. Price it. I have priced vehicles forever. When I'm looking for a new vehicle, I don't give a crap if you're buying a Dodge or a Ford. This is new vehicles. 
a Dodge or a Ford or a Toyota or a Chevy or anything else on the market. If you get a comparable car, in other words, you want a, a little gas, let's take a gas saver. You get a little gas saver, gas miser. And, oh, it's this thing gets about 38 miles per gallon on the freeway. Yeah, it does. Okay. You go to and say, that's a Ford. Then you go over to Chevy. I need a gas miser. What have you got? Okay. And they take it. Well, this gets 40 miles per gallon on the freeway. Okay. So now you got two cars. I'll bet you there's not fifty. I bet you there's not five hundred dollars to a thousand difference between the two cars. And then you have to look at how their the accessories are. What do you want on it? Of course. Oh, you want air conditioning? That's extra. Oh, you want four tires on it? That's extra. It's like buying a waterbed. And you compare the cars. Before you go in, you can go. You can go in a, a a car lot and kick the tires and take a look at it and find out. And then skipping the test drive, people, you need to test them. I used to say, hey, if you if you're dead set on buying a car and you're going to spend fifty thousand dollars for it, go to a rental car place. Of course, you can't do it right now. There's nothing for rent in Tucson because of the show. But go rent a car. Drive that thing to Wilcox or Casa Grande or Phoenix. Find out what it does out on the freeway, how comfortable it is when you get to your destination. Can you get in and out of it? And I know that may sound stupid, but um, trust me, it's not. Do your legs still work when you get to where you're going? Is the car comfortable? What's the road noise? What kind of ride quality do you have? Is this something that you want to run back? If you're running, if you're a salesman and you're running back and forth to Phoenix five times a week, is this car going to be able to get you back there without creating permanent damage to your back and your legs? (laughs) Cut the blood circulation off to your feet? You need to test drive this vehicle or one comparable to it or exactly like it. If you're going to go get a, a Toyota, Rent a Toyota, the same one that you're looking to buy, and see if that's the car you want. Most of your rental cars are decked out pretty good, and that'll give you a, a pretty good ways. But pay attention to the roughness on the road, how the suspension handled. My brother bought a 2020, I think it's two, 2020 Charger. He bought the one that, you know, the Hellcat version, except it had a six-cylinder motor in it. Well, it had all the Hellcat suspension on it. 30 days later, he sold that car and went and bought a Chrysler 300. Same six-cylinder motor, but the suspension was not the competition suspension, and he could ride it without it hurting his back. He put less than 200 miles on that other car. That's how bad it was for him. Now, people who are younger and want to buy something that's got road handling qualities and stuff like that, yeah, go for it. But you need to know exactly what you're getting when you dish out that hard-earned money for it. So make sure you test drive it. Uh, you want to, it it's got to be comfortable. It needs to be comfortable. You need to be able to get in and out of it. Trust me. Because you're going to keep this thing about five years, and if if everything is right, you know, if you're 20 years old, five years probably won't make a difference. 
But if you're 50 years old, five years is going to make a big difference. So make sure you check that. Look at the blind spots. Does it have blind spots in it? Can you actually turn your head and see the other car next to you? Can you turn your head and see what's behind you? Um, so, And that's very critical if you're planning on using this thing for a daily runner and you're planning on driving across country and you want to stay as safe as you possibly can. But noise of the road, road noise. I had a, and I'll be honest with you, I had a, a Honda, a 96 Honda, and it was a Honda Accord. If I had to drive that thing to Phoenix more than one time a month, I, I wouldn't bought the car. It was absolutely mechanically perfect. That was the noisiest son of a gun on the road. And I even called my brother-in-law, who owned a Honda dealership, and I said, what in the world is going on with this car? He says, uh, they're working on it. They got a, it, it, it is a little noisy. A little noisy in my rear end. I mean, the radio don't even go loud enough to cover the noise. But that, And that was not an exaggeration. It, it didn't, I mean, miserable. So now... I pay attention to that because that is that's really critical, and especially that noise and road. Now I know a lot. Honda wasn't the only one that had that noise problem. They still have noise problems in certain uh, little cars. The less expensive the car is, it seems like the more the road noise is. So you have to watch that suspension and handling. You know, don't just take it on the freeway. Come off the freeway, catch a side road go through a neighborhood, hit a couple of speed speed bumps and see what kind of control you have on this car. Take it off the road a little bit, slow it down about 30 mile an hour and stand on the brakes. See what it does. Is it going to jerk you to the right? Is it going to jerk you to the left? Or is the ABS working as designed and keeps you a nice, smooth, controlled stop? All right. Now, uh, number four, having. Let me chime in. Go ahead, Jim. Let me Jen. chime in real quick. Go ahead. So, um, when you're when you're looking at the cars, <laughs> this is this is a really fun subject. Um, I know that a lot of people like to buy online because you know because Amazon sells everything and Carvana. You don't have to do anything except look at the picture, and the picture looks cool. Um, but Jerry's right. It, you need to sit in a car, even if you don't drive anywhere. If you sit in the car for 30 minutes and your back hurts, you are not going to like driving it. And I've ran across two types of car consumers. There's the guy that buys the car and thinks he's going to keep it for five years, and then he's going to flip it or sell it or get a new one. Eh, that's an okay proposition. Pretty expensive proposition. I mean, unless you always want a car payment, because that's about where you're going to be. And then there's the guy that's going to drive it till it's scrap. And what I mean by that, he drives it till there's the wheels are falling off. It's got 400,000 miles, and the only thing valuable on it is the metal that can be recycled into another vehicle. So depending on which philosophy you have, depends on which car you want to get. Because if you, and well, and how you maintain it, obviously. But if you think you're going to run it 400,000 miles, you better be sure that you can stand to sit 400,000 miles in the seat. Because there isn't anything that's gonna that's going to um, <laughs> upset you, like Jerry said, his brother drove the car for 200 miles and couldn't take it. I had I looked at a truck one day and I thought this was the nicest truck I ever thought I could ever see. 
I sat in it. I drove it around the block, and in five minutes, I couldn't take it. And I thought, this is – and I was very so disappointed because I really wanted to buy this, but I, I knew I couldn't drive it. Um, and, it's, and simple things like, you know, steps. Can you get in and out of it? Do you need, you know, running boards on your truck? <laughs> Will it fit in your garage if you have one? <laughs> Don't ever make the mistake of thinking I had a regular cab short bed truck and it fit perfectly and now I have a crew cab truck and it will not fit. <laughs> That's really going to make your day. You're going to you're going to try all kinds of different ways to cut your garage or do whatever, but it's still not going to go. So, you know, if you're unsure, take a tape measure with you. Because that's a frustrating day. Now it's just sitting outside. And if you're not allowed to leave your truck sitting outside because you live in a place where somebody runs around and tattles on you because your truck's sat outside, you're going to be even more upset. So that, that oh was one thing that I ran across. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that comfort that comfort and drivability is, is – I don't know how anybody can drive a car or buy a car without sitting in it, testing it feeling comfortable with it because you're going to spend a lot of time in it. You don't, you don't cross 200,000 miles and not, and not spend time in your vehicle unless you loan it out all the time. The other thing that I've noticed is, all right, you're a young couple. You're 22, 23, 24 years old, and you want a Mustang. So, <clears throat> and all of us knows that Mustangs only have two doors. Well, uh, your wife is pregnant. And uh, you somehow you forgot about that little Bambino that's going to be coming, and you need to put it in the rear seat. And so you buy a Mustang, and then lo and behold, a year and a half later, you're buying something else, if not sooner, because it the, you can't buckle your kid in. I mean, you can buckle them in, but it takes about a 15-minute process just to get them in the back seat. I know I bought a 69 Mustang, and... I had a four-month-old baby girl, and a year and a half later, I had a uh, 72 Ford Galaxy four-door so that you can get the kid in the back. Well, then you got another kid coming, and so now you got two. Well, the Galaxy was big enough to handle it, but it wasn't cool, so we had to trade and get another one. We got a four-door when we got the four-door. So what what is going to what's your family going to be like? Do you have dogs? If you have a dog, you may want an SUV so that you can put them in the back and you can still put your kids in the second seat and you can sit in the front seat and life is good. All of these things, if you buy on just sight, what's a beautiful car? People, I'm going to tell you right now. I don't have any kids. My kids are grown and gone. If I could figure a way for a Mustang or Camaro to pull a horse trailer safely, that's what I would be pulling my horse trailer with because I think those things are just drop-dead gorgeous. But the only drawback is you've got to get out of them and up out of them when you get out of them. And I'm going, oh, my Lord, you know, you put five years on me, and I'm going to be up there where, you know, I need one of these seats that rotate out, and it elevates, you know, kind of like one of these – Seats in your living room, you know, the recliners where it just sets you up in the floor. But all of this is real critical. It doesn't, you can't, you, you, you just don't think of everything. When you spot a car and the color is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous, the interior is beautiful, 
That thing looks like an aircraft on the inside. It is up to date. There is no extras you can get on it, and you get you're ready to go right there. You're ready to go. Now, here's the fourth one: having a time estimate on buying them. Don't shop before you need to. It keeps the anxiety down. And you have a better idea of what you're going to use. That's what I was talking about. Go rent a car. If you spot one that you think is really cute and you want to, I think I'd like to have that. You do a test drive in it and find out is it for for real. Will it service your needs five years down? Are you going to get a dog? You know, that's like a truck. You buy a half-ton truck, you pay $55,000, $60,000 for a half-ton truck. You've got a 8,000-pound travel trailer. And then all of a sudden, You've got a couple more kids, and you would need a bigger travel trailer, so you just go out and get you a 34-foot travel trailer, and you still got that eight, that little half-ton truck. And then you say, oh, crap, a half-ton truck won't pull it. That's the type of research you need to do before you buy either or if you're doing, if you're an RV guy or RV person. Um, but shop before you need it. Pre-approve before you need it, so you know how much money you can actually afford to spend on a vehicle. Just remember, when you buy a vehicle and you get that extended warranty, that's another pretty good hit. Mine was one was 27, the other one was 34, $100 on extended warranty. So check your warranties, find out what the warranties are. Do they cover bumper to bumper? Or do they have one that covers the engine and transmission for 60,000 miles? They cover the instrument clusters and the lightings and anything else that happened to it for 36, three-year 36. Okay? All of that stuff. And second, don't shop alone. You know, you can take your spouse with you, your significant other. You can take a good friend. That friend has to remember, he can't just sit there and bob his head up and down like a little dog you put in the back of the window used to and say, oh, yeah, that's that's a real good-looking truck. If that's all they got to say about that truck or car, you go get you another friend and go back shopping because you need somebody that says, oh, I, I, I don't know. That doesn't look like it's big enough for your family. Oh, I don't know. Where are you going to put your dog? You need that second opinion because you'll get hooked up on the way that thing looks and it distorts your brain and then you'll wind up spending a lot of money and then all of a sudden you go, you have buyer's remorse. You say, wow, you know, I can't believe I'm paying $515 a month for this little car and it won't even do what I need to do with my current family, let alone anything that may be coming down the track that I don't know about. So it's just just something that you need to pay attention to. Uh, make sure that you have created a budget. Find out what your car is, get a price on it, and see if it's going to fit in with your budget or are you going to have to start skipping meals. Cars are expensive. When you create a budget, this is what you're going to need in that budget for the car. One's initial payment, the initial down payment on it. How much money are you going to have to pay? It's like buying a house. you got to know how much money you need at closing time in addition to what you've already dumped in it. You need to know what you okay. And uh but you you just you have to follow this. Uh we have David on the line. Let's go to Dave and take Dave. 
Good morning. Welcome yeah, to good ESPN. Good morning, Jerry. Getting a little feedback. What you got, bud? Go ahead. I got an old 72 Chevy pickup, 350 motor. The fuel pump failed on it a couple weeks ago and sprayed fuel all over the front end of the motor. It seemed like a terrible fire safety hazard. Should fuel can fuel pumps fail like that? And is that normal? Should yeah, they, this pump be reported someplace to be analyzed? For old age. For old age. You know, or you can get a rebuilt fuel pump and put it on there, and it doesn't have the same quality or, that the new ones did. And it'll blow a gasket, uh, or blow a line, or have a fitting loose, or rupture, and just start blowing fuel out on the front end. So that's not an uncommon occurrence on the older vehicles. Okay. The, the main thing you have to remember on that, as long as your secondary ignition system, uh, there is no safe. Now, I'm not even going to go there. There is no safe way to spray fuel over the front of your engine without scaring the dickens out of you. And that's good that it scared you. And uh, <laughs> But the fuel pump, yeah, just buy a quality fuel pump. Uh, I wouldn't buy anything online on the fuel pump. I'd go down to like a Merle's and I'd buy a good quality pump and put it on there. But fuel pumps is a mechanical operation on those older vehicles. They have a rod in there that goes to the bottom end and it sits there and goes up and down, up and down. That's how, that's what creates the pumping action in it for the fuel pump. They're not electric. The other way you can do it is you can switch it to an electric fuel pump. You can put a plate over the block where the fuel pump goes in on that block. <clears throat> it's called a lockout. And you can buy it at a hot rod store, or maybe Merle's even has it. But you can buy it and put it on the, put the plate on there, make sure it's sealed so it don't leak any oil coming out of there, and pull the rod out. There's a rod that goes in that uh, operates yeah. the, the brace in there. Pull that thing out, put the plate over it, and then you can go to an electric fuel pump. Go to the back of the fuel pump. The fuel pump is designed to push, an electric fuel pump is. So it'll pull pull it out just enough to get gas out of the tank, and then the rest all the way up through the chassis, it'll push it, and it'll keep the fuel pressure up. And you can put an electric fuel pump on it, and that'll that'll cut down on a couple of things. One, the possibility of that fuel pump the manual fuel pump leaking, and then you'll have this little noise when you turn it on and go, and that it build up pressure and it'll shut down. You can hear it. And then you start it up and you've got constant fuel feed. You may have to put a regulator on the line going right up next to the, where you're going to be pumping it up the engine, where you can reach in and adjust it. It's fuel pressure regulator. And, but the pumps are so sophisticated now, if you want a 3 PSI, or 5 PSI, you can get them. But you can buy a universal fuel pump that'll take you on up to 6.5 to 8. And so then you'll need a regulator to put on it like we used to have put on our stock cars so we could adjust the full the amount of fuel that the system's getting. But, yeah, the, the good thing is you caught it. Second best thing, well, I no, that's not – it's the – go ahead. Well, it just – it just kind of scared me. I've had them fail before, but they just quit pumping the diaphragm. Apparently, alcohol fuel gets in around that rubber diaphragm and just ruins it. And, it uh, sure does. So, uh, 
And everybody claims that everything. I just never saw one fail like this, or it just starts spraying fuel all over everything out the weep holes in the case of the pump there. Oh yeah, that's scary. I figured they'd design yes, them. Yes, it is. They shouldn't do that. They're... Well, is that the first fuel pump? Okay, you well, I won't it? wait. I won't waste my time reporting it to NHTSA then. I just if it's no, it, it's a common not. Failure. It's not a standard thing. It's just a mechanical failure on a pump. And part of it is the depending on what kind of fuel you run in there. If you run anything in there that doesn't have ethanol in it on that older vehicle, that's great. But most of the pumps and stuff that are manufactured now, especially if it's a reman, they have allowed for the ethanol in there. They have changed the seals on them, and, you know, they've done the best they could do. But you're right. The... Uh, did you check your you checked your fuel lines to make sure you didn't have a pressure leak coming out of the fuel lines, right? Right. The, a crack yeah. crack fuel line, good. In fact, while you're there, if it's got a rubber line going to it, go ahead and change it out because it still has that ethanol in it, and it's yeah. still probably yeah. eating up from the inside. So, sound like you got a handle on it. But, you know, and if if you don't trust that fuel pump, do exactly what I said. Go get your electric, put it back on the back end where there's no sparks available. And buy you one that'll supply it. I think it's about two, no more than three PSI going to it. And you can buy the pumps accordingly. Yeah. I think it's got a four-barrel quieter jet on it, so I, I think it's supposed to have around six or seven PSI, but... It's They've got those too. Volume. You don't need pressure. You just need volume. It's kind of like an old boy. You gotta have. You gotta have it. You gotta have it. So, but you got a good truck. It's worth fixing. It's worth keeping. It's worth a lot of yeah, money on the open market now. <laughs> yeah, it's only fifty years old. <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't burn it down because of a gas leak, you'll be all right, huh? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Well, yeah, I just, just never had one fail to throwing fuel out like that. Those old mechanical pumps, they just quit pumping. They don't throw fuel out. I've seen a car come into the garage. When she hit the brakes, the gas run off the manifold onto the floor. That's how bad it was. And she said, do you think this could cause a fire? <laughs> Uh, yes, ma'am. It could probably get with it. I'm surprised it didn't have a fire because it was when I opened the hood, the manifold was still full, and it was rolling out on the across the top of the valve covers. It was rolling down the front of the motor, back to the exhaust uh, manifolds, and she's just lucky, just lucky. So yeah, that's the way uh, I. Anything? That's the way I felt. I just felt really lucky that it was just sitting and idling when it when I caught it. That's right. Good for you. Good for you. All right. Well, good luck with that. But, uh, yeah, get your quality fuel pump. Make sure you get a quality fuel pump. Don't order one online. I know Amazon's got, Amazon's got everything, like Jim was saying. But don't No, That, keep it close, because if you put it on and it leaks from the factory or for the reman, we don't, I don't know who remands the parts for Amazon. I don't know what, what their suppliers are. But if you stay with a, um, uh, like Merle's, I think Merle's now is uh, Napa. 
uh, and Merle's has pretty much got pretty much doing the same stuff. Napa has a quality control that uh, is just a little bit better than most of your partry manufacturers. And I wouldn't be afraid to get a Napa pump. I've actually bought Napa manual Napa pumps to go on vehicles, and I didn't have any problems with them, especially if they're paying attention. Instead of saving money on the gaskets, went ahead and put the gaskets in it. That will take care of that uh, octane, the uh, methanol inside the gasoline now. So you should be good to go. Yeah, I'm going to take some research to find out. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. All right. No, don't take research. Just go to a parts house and let them do the research for you. Go into Merle's talk one and tell them, Simmons told me you knew what you were talking about. Now you tell me. You tell me about your vendors or have you ever had problems with your fuel pumps? And you can tell by just looking at them whether or not they're going to tell you the truth. That's the reason I like Napa. I mean, uh, Merle's is because they do tell you the truth to the best of their knowledge. If they've had two or three pumps come back because they were leaking, no, you, that pump you don't want. So that's the research you can do without going online and getting 25,000 different opinions on the same pumps. Right, yeah. Okay? Yeah, it's just hard to figure out which manufacturer knows. I, I'm just fed up with the EPA and, and rubber and like you say about tires, the rubber's only good for five years. I got a BF Goodrich tire that's been sitting here. It's a spare tire. That's probably 40 mm-hmm. years old. There's not a crack in the rubber. Mm-hmm. Not one single crack. So I just, well, I don't trust the rubber they're using in the diaphragm. I don't think it's really impervious to this alcohol fuel. I don't, I don't know. I think even the manufacturer. I think you're right on the money with that. I think you're right on the money with that. I think you have, you're right there, and that's the only thing. I've I've seen fuel pumps come apart. You know, I used to run race cars. I had the manual pumps on them before I started putting electric pumps on them, and that was the problem that we had with the manual pumps. You'd pull them apart, and you'd look, and here's that diaphragm non-existent. It looked like somebody put a bunch of rubber just threw it in there. But, uh, yeah, it comes apart. Once you get a crack in one or anything, it starts giving you – the fuel pump just doesn't work like it's supposed to. That's a dead giveaway. We pulled them out, and they weren't leaking at all, but there was no diaphragm on the inside. It had done cracked out, blew out, improper assembly. Maybe they didn't glue it together the way they're supposed to. Uh, I don't know. All I know is they just go bad and you pull them out. But they were inexpensive then. You know, they're like $17. I don't even know what one of those manual pumps costs now, but I'll bet you it's not seventeen dollars. It's probably around thirty-five. So, and I don't blame you for doing the research. You know, if it'll make you more comfortable, by all means, go ahead and do the research. There's ratings on everything out there now. You just have to Google, hit the right button, and they'll give you the information there. Be careful. That's well, just I- another person's opinion. And uh, you know, the reason I like to buy locally is one. If it is a problem, you just pull it off and take it right back in, and they'll give you another one like that or a different one if you want it. And so you have an option where you get it online, it comes in, it takes you four, three days to get it or one day to get it if Amazon delivers it and they have it local. or Most I've ever heard of it like two days. And uh, But if there's a problem with it, 
then it has to be packaged back up. You have to send it back. They have to inspect it, and then they will send you another one. So I'm, I'm not that wild yeah. about that. There's just too many people handling a product that shouldn't be. I don't, I don't like that. I like to take it. I like to buy it from somebody that has got, com- got local knowledge on it. But when that, uh, when that uh, gasoline first come out, I mean, man, it was a mess. It would eat the socks off of the fuel pumps that was in the tank, and then all that black glue would come up through and block the ports in the yep. or, or the needle and seat. It was a mess. And yeah. it also eat the one little supply line, little rubber supply line comes out of your tank, and it goes up to it's about a maybe an eight inch little rubber hose that comes from the tank plug over to the metal line. It goes to the front. And it would always, because that's the last thing, out of sight, out of mind. And all of a sudden, you'd be losing fuel pump pressure. And you couldn't, you couldn't understand why every time you started it up, it took you five minutes to start the daggone thing until you realized that you wasn't getting fuel up there. And it's because it was pumping air in through the cracks in the fuel line that was eaten out from the inside out. And it was, it was pulling air. And so you go back to the tank, you pull that one little eight-inch line off, and you change it out and put your new one on and use some good clamps on it, not those spring clamps. I haven't had very good success with spring clamps, uh, but on the older vehicles. I use the regular old screw clamps on them, and they hold, they seal, but after you put them on and then you fire it up and you're running it, shut it down, go back, take your fingers and go right up to that fuel line and see if there's any kind of gasoline or anything like that on it. That's how you check those. That's the best way I've found to check them. Then you don't have to worry about them. But, yeah, I like if the fuel leak's going to be anywhere, it needs to be back next to the tank where the only thing it can go out on is the ground and not the engine block, not near electric, because if you'd had a spark, if your secondary ignition system, spark plug wires and stuff, if you had a, had a arc from one of those eight spark plug wires on there with that much gas under that front of that motor, you would have had a fire. So it sounds like you're taking care of your ignition system. So good for you. Yeah. What else you got on that one? What do you mean? Did did I confuse you, or did I answer your question? No, I got it. I it's uh, all these all these facts. Like I got I got uh, fuel filters. There's three tanks on the truck, and there's fuel filter at the bottom of each tank before it gets into the three way valve. And then there's another filter right. after that, and then there's another filter in the carburetor. So. That's just trying to keep. Well, you've got about all the filters you can possibly handle. That's good as long as you keep them changed. And and all the rubber hoses get replaced as soon as they look like they're starting to fail. So do it it at about. It just bothered me. Do it at about a year. Good. Well, as long as it bothers you, you stay on top of it. Fail like that. So, oh yeah. Anyway, thanks for well, the info. I'll, uh, I just don't want to buy an OEM pump because I'm afraid that whatever the specs were for the diaphragm, it just don't meet the requirements for today's fuels. 
So uh, well, you're find an you're late, market pump that's, you're, got, you're, that's got the latest. Your OEM pumps. Rubber your, your, o, your OEM rebuilders have allowed for the um, alcohol being in the gasoline. So yeah, the only difference is probably double the price. But they do put yeah, out a yeah. quality product. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jerry. All right, bud. Have a good weekend. You too. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh-huh. Bye bye. Oh, we're getting down to the top of the hour really quick. Uh, they have an autonomous plane now. It's a five passenger, uh, and it will fly itself completely in case the pilot dies. So I thought everybody needed to hear that. And uh, they have tested it. It will. You push one button on the dash. And then it change. It goes to the coordinates. It goes uh, GPS to find the nearest airport to you. It can land that plane safely. Are you going to get me in that plane? Nope. No. <laughs> I guess if I only have one pilot, which this is a one-seater, one pilot. But if it had one pilot, uh, I don't think so. so <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that I just thought that was interesting, and I read the article, and it's quite impressive, quite impressive. So it and it it is autonomous. It, it will it will fly itself. You just push one button, and everything kicks in. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, and a little thing on buying a used vehicle. It, every used vehicle that I've purchased it, that I remember in my life. Uh, the first thing I do when I get it in, it, we didn't have Carfax, so you couldn't go in and verify that the oil was changed or whatever. But I would get a vehicle in, I would change the oil, the differential fluid, transmission fluid, and in case of the four-wheel drives, I'd change the transfer case fluid. If it was liquid, I would change it, including, and I didn't learn this till later on in life, the uh, the brake fluid. Change your brake fluid because that's where all your expensive brake jobs come in is when the brake fluid is so contaminated it eats up everything it's related to. So if you'll do that and put it on your maintenance schedule that you're used to using and you know it's been successful, then do that. All right, we're out of time, Jim. Uh, you know, automotive specialist, lensautobrokerage.com, desertrv.com. Um, of course, automotive specialist, uh, Brian's phone number, 572-1734-237-3852, Parker Automotive. We covered on the first hour. Simmons Drive Shaft Specialist, 884 0